Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Change Healthcare Consulting Security Podcast. I'm John Zuziak, Change Healthcare Consulting's Practice Director for IT Risk Management. And today we'll be talking about information security assessments with my good friend, Randall Fritchie from Denver Health. Randall, before we get started, can you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and what are, the, what are some of the key items you are working on? Hey, John, thanks for having me. Um, I am the enterprise, <clears throat> enterprise CISO for Denver Health, which is uh, the safety net and uh, level one trauma center in, in downtown Denver. Uh, before that, I worked at, at CHI with John, and um, I also teach uh, cybersecurity risk management. Uh, I do that for Harvard, and also with John, and I also teach in the Regis Master's Degree Program for their cybersecurity. Um, before I got started in uh, IT and security, I was a law enforcement officer uh, in Indiana, and uh, I've specialized in risk management for a long time and it's a passion I'd love to share. Thanks, John. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad you, uh, you're able to take the time with us today. I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of this session. So, you know, I'll just, just to start off, when we talk about security assessments, you and I have, through the years, have kind of gone back and forth on what our, our philosophies are and we share a lot of common uh, ground there. But one thing that always comes up is is a framework. So is there a particular framework that you subscribe to or that you sort of built your uh, security assessment philosophy out of? Absolutely. So I talk about two different things. One is the overall building of the security program. And we use the NIST cybersecurity framework for that. Uh, and then when you're talking about risk management, really you're talking about control assessments. And we use um, high trust control objectives uh, to um, to assess internally, but certainly our third-party vendors before we sign a contract with them. Excellent. And, and with that, I guess you're using sort of the NIST framework for your program and then high trust is your, um, you know, for the assessment itself and for pulling a lot of those controls. Do you, do you find that you have to create different assessments for you know, internal applications versus third-party versus organizational enterprise-wide assessments? Absolutely. So we have so so many different things going on. We have internal, internally hosted applications. We have cloud applications, uh, web portals from vendors and so forth, uh, websites. And so, we, you know, and then internally we install routers and switches. We install um, servers. Uh, so... There, there is a variation in the types of questions uh, and control objectives that you're looking at, depending on what you're assessing. And usually, if we're bringing in a new server or bringing in a new router, we, we put it through change control, and a lot of that uh, information is gathered at that point uh, for internal things. And certainly, we always want to do that before we sign a contract with any vendor, especially if we're going to be sharing anything sensitive with them. Excellent. And that brings up a good point. I mean, I think the key that I that I have, and, and definitely where you and I, uh, I think, can focus this attention and bring up a lot of good points is around those vendors and can kind of sort of what's, you know, the right process to, to assess a vendor and what really should we be looking at. Um, mm -hmm. I know a lot of times what I see is, you know, we do sort of that same application level assessment for a vendor, but we're not mm -hmm. looking at the vendor holistically. 
you, do you kind of kind of share your standpoint on you know what's what's the process for assessing the vendor? Is it end to end? Is it focused on one particular technology? Well, you can't really go to the vendor and you know look under the hood at their systems and check their configurations and things like that. So really, you're relying on them to attest to what they have. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so when you send them questionnaires, ask them questions on a desk audit type phone call, uh, really they're attesting to what they have. If they have a SOC 2 around data center controls, that's good to see. If they've had a third party assessment done on them, um, that's good to see. So anything that you can get, um, obviously not being able to go physically and inspect their security yourself. Uh, and then that's why it's important to be pre-contracted because now that I know what you have, I may be able to write into the contract some things that I require uh, of the vendor to, to either have and maintain or to get. Uh, and then we can set SLAs around that. And we can set you know contract parameters around the mitigation of those controls. But definitely like to speak Excellent. to the to that process. Um, yeah, so I'd love to get a little bit more about how you tier and kind of where you go into you know, doing the assessment. How how does that differentiate between just a regular standalone assessment? So it all starts with governance. So the first thing that I always do is create a risk management policy. Or if you have a traditional way of of having um, governance, you would have an IT security policy that speaks to an IT risk management standard. Uh, that standard or that policy really needs to state why you're doing it, what, what are your regulatory drivers, and uh, for us obviously it's it's uh, HIPAA, um, and, and what we're going to do for that and, and why risk management is such a key part of, of HIPAA. Uh, and then from there we call out uh, risk stratification. Risk stratification is just some high-level questions that really get to the heart of what the situation is. So I ask, what kind of data are we sharing? How much of that data are we sharing? What's the format uh, of the data presentation? Is it going to be internally hosted by our organization? Is it going to be hosted by the vendor? Is it going to be a web portal and have you know, patient data available to the public internet? Because those all have varying levels of security controls that we need to see. Certainly if it's a web portal on the internet, you know, we want to see multi-factor authentication. We want to see strong authentication um, to just to be able to get into the portal. Um, so once you have that risk stratification done, you can take that and from there you can determine what else, if anything, you need to do with this vendor. Uh, and that's where we tier the vendor. So if they have all of our patient data and it's on a web portal, on the public internet, that's a that's a tier one vendor, a critical risk vendor. Um, that could really be a bad day if something happened there. So we we tier them as a critical risk, and we throw the the full gamut of risk assessment activities at that particular vendor and their solution, and their infrastructure. Uh, how do their folks access it? Can they can they write to an unencrypted USB drive? Are they sharing it with any downstream third party vendors? Uh, and then, you know, as you come down from that, is it vendor hosted? Is it internally hosted? Uh, we know what controls we have, so will that rise to the level of, of acceptable for us? And so from that risk stratification and tiering, we can really drive the risk assessment activity. We don't want to bite off, uh, you know, the whole thing every single time because it can't be cookie cutter. Uh, we have to uh, make sure our resources are applied 
uh, intelligently. Uh, you know, we don't want to spend two weeks on every single application if we don't have to. So that risk stratification and tiering is really critical. And then when I go back in my GRC, I can say, show me all tier one vendors who have control gaps around data loss protection or control gaps around encryption at, at rest. And I can go slice and dice the data and I can target risks. Uh, so that that is really hard to get into an organization that doesn't already have it in there because you have so many different purchasing streams, uh, really, you know, your legal, your IT uh, buying, your purchasing department or supply chain. And then you have people who are buying things with credit cards, uh, which in our organization violates policy, right? They're not supposed to buy applications with their corporate credit card. So we have to make sure we're keeping a lid on all the different, different uh, ways that we can buy things and then make sure we put that risk stratification and in, inject it into the middle of that process and make it a requirement. Make it something they can't get around. They have to do it for everything that they buy, if it's uh, IT related or data sharing related. And that way we're, we're ensuring that we're applying the same uh, level of risk management to everything. And I think that's great because I think, I mean, having the, the stuff in the policy is good. And and I love the fact that, you know, you have it in there. It's it's the requirement of the policy, but then also that you, you've created a process that it's flexible enough that if it's not, you know, a, a critical, to your point, the tier one or critical you know, category one um, application or vendor, then you're not going to that deep level of detail just because it's not needed. So it's not a compliance checkbox. You're really looking at the risk that the solution brings to the organization or that vendor brings to the right. organization. Um, on on that part, kind of stepping back a little bit to the, the tiering part, uh, is that something that you find is, is the business involved in providing that information to you or is that something that you as in security or IT are typically driving the questions of those those tiering questions? Or is it a so mix? We, well, it, it's a mix if it's in, if it's an internal um, internal change or internal addition to our infrastructure. Uh, if it's a vendor, the business owner uh, who wants to buy this, they're the ones responsible for telling us what what they're going to do with this solution, right? If we're going to share patient data about how much of that are we sharing with this vendor and and are you talking about using their website to do this um, that business owner is the most familiar with that information and we can get that then to the security team and the security team can look at that they take that they use that to tier that vendor and then they determine what what additional steps are needed from there I do want to go back to something though um, so when I say control objectives the control is like a firewall it controls the flow of data over the ports and protocols that you want. Um, antivirus is a control, controls your system from getting malware. So those are controls that we look for. And if you don't have it, or if you don't have it set up right, or if you don't have it set up fully, um, we could call that a gap or control gap. That is not a risk. It's just like if I leave my front door open. If I live in the middle of Chicago, and I leave my front door open, I'm at a higher risk than if I live in the middle of Omaha, right? And and leave my front door open. So that's the door is a control. If it's if it's open, unlocked, then that could be a gap, right? It, it's not secured. Uh, but the level of risk then it comes off of that. That by itself is not a risk. What we do is have to understand it in, in terms of the business. So in my uh, GRC platform, 
I take the control gaps and I align them with one of several, one or more of several uh, risk buckets. I call them business risk buckets. So we have financial risk, reputational risk, legal risk, patient safety risk, um, compliance risk, and so forth. So if I have a control gap, then I can align it to one or more of those business risk buckets. And when I do that, it takes the the number that I give it, so it's I call it quasi-quantitative. It's not full quantitative, but it's not qu really qualitative either. So I give it a score from one to 10 in terms of how big a deal it is. Then I align that with the control bucket that also has a weight. So patient safety obviously is the biggest weight. That would be, let's say I give it 100. So I give you, um, if I give you a score of seven out of 10, which is 10 is the highest, around a DLP, for example, and I align that to patient safety risk bucket, that's seven times 100, so I just added 700 points to my risk bucket. The water line goes up. And then when I go back and mitigate control gaps, that takes away that 700, so it drops. So over a period of time, I can take that metric to my board and my executives and show them where we're going up and where we're going down and where we're making progress uh, and really where we need to focus our attention more on. That's fantastic. I, I love the idea of, of once you have them all scored and you mentioned that you keep all that information in the GRC so you can pull out, uh, you know, one, look at your enterprise as a whole, how much risk do you have just in the vendor management space or application space, or then two, focus in on who are your most critical vendors or your riskiest vendors as well and look at you know what trends exist there um kind of i guess next step with that process is do you look at um i guess when you complete the assessment what is the sort of the, the what's next point i mean obviously you're, you're storing that information in the grc but how are you tracking down or working with the vendors on remediation because i'm sure there's there's always something out there that you know no, no vendor's perfect, and the, the context with what you're looking at it, it's always going to be um, looking at the vendors from that risk standpoint. So there's always going to be some level of risk um, in that space. So, how, you know, what do you do next, and kind of what's the, um, the so what factor with, with some of that? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll use the example of uh, SFTP. Uh, so a lot of times we SFTP data up to the vendor, uh, and we require them to pull that data off that public SFTP server within 10 minutes. And it, a lot of times we find they can't do that. Um, you know, something like a global scape FTP server can do that very easily with a batch. Uh, and it always surprises me when they push back on that. But that is a big deal because our live patient data is sitting on an SFTP server facing the public internet. Uh, and FTP is not known to be all that secure in terms of cracking into it so uh it's really uncomfortable to leave that data up there so we we push back on that uh when they come back and say we can't do that uh, then we either work with them uh the the security team and the it team works with them to find a, a compensating controls that we could use uh, or we might write it in the contract that says you must have the ability to do that within three months uh, or you breach the contract. And a lot of times compensated controls can be things like restricting the IP from which the data is coming so that not everybody on the public internet can try to log in to see our data. Um, certainly we can encrypt the data 
before we SFTP it, right? So then when it's sitting on their servers on the internet, it's encrypted. Um, a couple compensating controls around that, but but we work with the vendor tech from the technology standpoint to try to help get them to the point we need them to be. If not, we look for compensating controls and we always then will write into the contract that they have to mitigate this within a reasonable time frame. And I love the idea of compensating controls. I think it's, you know, it's too easy or it's kind of it's the easy button or the easy way out when you say you either have to do it my way or not. And then, you know, not every vendor can do that. And there's, given that business context, it might not be necessary. So huh, holding them to that standard and not giving the wiggle room or using the compensating controls is really unfair uh, to a lot of vendors. So I, I love that concept and, and using that, that approach. Um, and the, uh, you know, the thing about a compensating control is we have to have formal exception management. So built into our security risk management policy is an exception management um, clause. And that says that where we cannot follow our policy or follow the, the um, requirements that we would have of a vendor, we have to, we have to document the, the compensating controls that we're going to use, or if we're just going to accept the risk and, and move on, uh, whatever that risk mitigation activity might be, we have to have that documented and approved. So IT can approve, IT, the CIO can approve uh, a lot of things when it's the security uh, side of the things that I have to approve, then it goes into the GRC as an extension of that risk assessment. And you just click, you know, if you have a mitigation um, plan, you put the mitigation plan in there. If you can't mitigate it and you have to use compensating controls, you hit the compensating control or you hit the exception button. And then you you write in what policy are we accepting? What are the compensating controls being used? Uh, how long is this exception going to run for? And that way then the GRC can notify that, you know, your exception's coming up due. And that way you're reminded to go take a look at it. Has the vendor resolved it? So forth. Excellent. So you, I guess you, the, you're managing those compensating controls or those exceptions where, I mean, they, they do have a short life or kind of a life cycle and you're following up on those and extending if need be or, or closing out. Excellent. When, when you have open, I guess both for the compensating controls, but then also open uh, findings or, or the gaps with the, the vendor, um, do you include that in a routine conversation with them, whether it's sort of like a QBR for some of the bigger vendors, or do you routinely reach out to them to see if they have implemented a control, compensating control, or closed out that finding? Yes, that's why I don't make my exceptions run for very long, because I want to make sure to stay on top of it. Obviously, with so many vendors, um, you know, it's really hard with a small team to to continue to touch base with that. But if it's in the contract, you know, if they're if they're having to abide by it to honor the contract, and if we set that exception time frame short enough, like some cases we might set it in two weeks, um, and, and the, probably the most, uh, this, most time that we would give them is a quarter because we want to check on them every quarter. Um, and that reminds us, that, hey, you've got a pretty pretty good exception here. You, you want to keep, keep an eye on it. Excellent. That's great. Um, on, I mean, you mentioned it about the the uh, limited resources, right? N none of our teams are, you know, what we would want. Right? Obviously, we always want more more people, and we want to do more assessments and pull in that information. Um, and given the fact, I mean, you have a very robust program. You're asking a lot. You're touching all the vendors and looking at them. Uh, do you find it that it's having sort of this 
this process is is impossible? I mean, obviously it's not impossible, but you know, is is it an uphill battle for you, or is it because you you have the process, you follow the process, sort of this methodology allows it to be efficient? No, that's exactly right. I think the hardest part really is education. I've had to sit with my purchasing team on a few occasions just to remind them why we're doing this, what they're required to do as part of this, and why it's important. And when you really sit down with them and you say, here's, you know, here are the statistics, right, of how many breaches happen, and 60-some percent of breaches in healthcare come from vendors. Uh, and, and that's a scary, scary thought. So that's why we really need to be looking at these things, and, and purchasing is a key part of that. Um, uh, because I get noticed that something was purchased in engineering, and of course they don't think to to involve us in that because it's not patient data or anything like that. And the vendor wants to stand up some thing, engineering thing or security, physical security thing, and they're going to share data out to the internet. And they just don't know that that needs to come through security. So in order, the only way you can catch that is either to implement it as a required a part of their purchasing stream. Um, so if they want to submit for a contract request, that's the first question that they have to answer. And if they don't answer it, they can't go any farther. So that's really important part. If you can get it in there as a required part of this of the uh, purchasing process. Uh, but at least you have to educate all the folks to go to the director of engineering, go to the director of purchasing, and just make sure we're all on the same page, understand why we're doing it and why it's important. Yep. And always my challenge in the past has been, you know, when we do the assessment or, you know, we'll, we'll start the tiering and it comes in, it's, it's a level three tier, it's not really a concern. We're not sharing patient data with them. It's really just sort of a, an advisory partner. But somewhere in that life of the contract, either it's, a, you know, six months in or at renewal, services change. And now we're sending data to them. <clears throat> but security, you know, we, we haven't been part of that process. And right. that's always, you know, that, that surprise is the last thing <laughs> you want. Um, the way we would always solve it is we did, we would take our, our vendors, if it was a level three vendor, every three years we would do an assessment of them. Um, level one vendors, we're, we're doing a touch point annually just to see what's changed. We might not do the full assessment, but just to see what's changed in that relationship. Um, do you find yourself doing something similar with that? So my GRC, when I tier them, not only does it drive the risk assessment activity, but it also schedules them out for a reassessment. So every tier one vendor gets scheduled a year out for a reassessment and tier two, two years, tier three, three years, so forth. And you're right, when we do that, uh, when it comes up for renewal, we are really just looking at what's changed. We don't need to do a complete overhaul reassessment. We just say what's changed since you presented this last time, and if anything has, then then we assess around that. Right. Yeah. And one thing that I've learned going through the process myself is you learn the business, right? You learn what's going on in different departments, what they're what's critical to them, what they're relying on, um, how they function. And it helps in many different areas, right? It's it's helped me with security incidents, right? Because now I know what is a critical application to them. I know their processes. So if they get malware on a machine, I know how critical that really is and what we need to do. Um, uh. do, do you find that as well, that there's it, there's a sort of a side benefit of doing these assessments? Absolutely. And you, 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 know, you touched on critical applications. So our pre-contracting risk assessment feeds the BIA 
um, the business impact analysis. So whenever we assess, one of our control objectives is availability. And when we, you know, I always say it's not a security requirement of availability, it's up to the business. It's up to how critical that application is gonna be for them. It might be down, uh, if it goes down for a minute, we're, you know, we're uh, in critical shape. It, it could go down for a month and we never even know it. What's that level of criticality for the business? All I do in that process is translate their need into what the business can support technically. And then when I have that control objective populated, then our DR folks can go in and they see all of the new applications and they see the level of criticalities that we have documented for each one. And then that, that front loads the BIA process for them and helps them, uh, helps them get that BIA completed. So, I mean, the, just the, having that information in one, one place or sharing it among the different groups, so it ends up being, I mean, it's a benefit for everyone, right? All the teams at that point. Absolutely. Excellent. Um, with your with your processing, so once you've kind of moved through the assessment, you have that, you do the remediation. Um, I'm always big on keeping, you know, something, some type of, I guess, language in the contract related to security. Uh -huh. Two or three things, maybe 10, depending on, you know, the agreement, but high level controls, not trying to be prescriptive, but something right. that we can say, these are the security kind of guardrails. Um, how beneficial is, is that for you? You do something similar? Yeah. So. I uh, attach an IT security amendment to every contract where we're sharing data, uh, sensitive data, employee data, financial data, patient data, certainly. And, and that security amendment has probably 10 high-level security control objectives like uh, encryption, DLP, um, physical security controls, environmental security, and so forth. Um, so really the top 10 things we really want to see from a HIPAA safeguard standpoint. And then they have to sign that as, as really kind of a, uh, a testing in the contract that they will have and will maintain these controls. And like you said, they're not prescriptive other than, um, you know, the FTP coming off 10 minutes or less, uh, backing right. up data within a certain time frame. Those may be outlined as a, as a, a high watermark, right? have to stay at or below this level uh, but yeah that that is and, and I get pushed back on that sometimes sometimes they redline well oh, we have one off not you can't offshore so they'll redline that and so that's when I get involved and I have the negotiation with them and a lot of times I find they're not offshoring any data uh, they may have people working in data but uh, working offshore but they're remoting in they can't pull any data down and I say that's not offshoring data. You're, the data is still resident on in the U.S. continental U.S. Um, so yeah, they'll they'll push back on some of that, and and that's another key area of assessment, right? If they're pushing back on something, I'd like to know why. Um, they can't meet right. something in, in that, then then maybe that's something that we missed, and we need to keep an eye on. Yeah. I do want that's an important back. point having that that conversation and negotiating. I think that's critical. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and. Luckily, I work in legal, and I report directly to the general counsel. So usually that gives you some some weight when you're on the call with them. Um, and another key important point has been educate legal, uh, because really it it put a it put a monkey wrench in their processes, right? Because they're getting these things, and now all of a sudden they're waiting for Fritz to to have his team do the risk assessments, and so they really had to be educated as to why we were why we're doing this. Um, 
Uh, and that way, when they get a request directly, they know, hey, you need to call Fritz or you need to fill out this risk stratification form. Uh, so that was really critical. The other critical thing I, I, we do that I don't, I don't know that a lot of other organizations do is we, in my GRC, when I have the vendor and the application listed in the GRC, and even the business owner, those are all tied into our other systems. So we have a, a, a configuration management database and the applications go in there and uh, we have a vendor database and the vendors go in there. So I can tie in directly into that vendor with this risk assessment and I can tie the risk assessment to the actual application in the CMDB. So uh, as an application analyst, you can see there has been a risk assessment done on this and then you could click into it and you can drill down on that risk assessment and see you know, what, it, what are the areas of uh, concern for that app particular application that you're responsible for. Oh, that's great. So they can even see if they're making changes, if that is, you know, if making changes with the vendor or making adjustments with data that's being sent over, they can see if that's a violation of a, a change in the current agreement. So, uh, Absolutely. They'll know that too. Absolutely. Love it. How, how often do you find yourself communicating out the, I guess, the, the metrics from the vendor risk assessments? Do you, I mean, do you take it to different groups, different audiences? And, and if so, how often do you do that? I do. So we have an annual third-party risk assessment uh, that we have them coming come in and do that. They do both a, a HIPAA compliance. Basically, they take the HIPAA security rule audit protocol and they run us through that. And then we they also assess us, assess us from a NIST cybersecurity framework maturity standpoint and really gives us an idea of where our strong points are, where our weak points are, and where we need to devote resources and time to. Uh, and then so once a year, I present that to the board, and then I present our metrics around risk risks that we have in the organization tied into the risk assessment activity. And then I also do it, I call it a dog, dog and pony show. So I'll go, I'll sit in on an HR staff meeting, I'll sit on a legal staff meeting, and I, I'll give a short presentation about here's where we're at, we're at today, here's where we've been, um, here are the areas we're focusing on. And uh, here's the results that you can see from the assessment, uh, the third-party assessment from the um, from the metrics that we're seeing, either you know going up or going down in terms of the level of risk. So I, I report to the board twice a year, um, formally. Uh, so once a year is really this uh, this security program update, and once a year is a required board training. So compliance officer and, the, and security officer both. Uh, do a training for the board, and mine is related to security and privacy. And then I also do that to the executive compliance committee. I sit on that, and I do a presentation of that. So I get about 20 minutes, and I run through uh, sort of an abbreviated version of that uh, just to make sure that I'm hitting all areas of the organization and keeping them informed as to what we're doing and why it's important for them to understand because it is, you know, security is everybody's job, not just mine. Absolutely. Well, and it sounds, I mean, I'm glad you said that because it sounds like you have a, a great culture and supportive culture of security um, that, and I'm sure, you know, with the training kind of education that you've provided, but then just in nature, the company seems like they, they support what you're doing. So That's we had a, fantastic. we had the CEO of our third party assessor. Uh, the board had an eight hour um, retreat at a hotel so they went there for eight hours and they talked about things important on the topic 
for one of those hours, we had this, they asked for the CEO of our third-party assessor to come in and give a presentation about cybersecurity. So they care about it deeply. They support us. And, you know, when we see metrics around the maturity of other organizations in healthcare, and it's usually about 49% on the NIST cybersecurity framework. And uh, I think that average is probably due to the lack of lack of support in a lot of cases. Uh, we, we score very highly, and that's because of that. And they ask me, why why are we why are we at this level? How how can we be at this level? And I say it's because of you, the board, the executives, the support that we get, the understanding of the importance of cybersecurity, especially in healthcare, and and so the, it's it's because of them. They give us what we need. They support us, and the results That's fantastic. speak volumes about that. Right, right, awesome, excellent. Well, Randall, I I thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Uh, for our listeners. Don't forget to check the notes uh, for links to resources and contact informa information related to today's show. Uh, stay tuned to the Change Healthcare's podcast for more shows covering the information security topics that you care about. Please let us know if there's any, uh, any topics you'd like for us to cover. And then for more information on security items such as security assessments, virtual chief information security officer services, disaster recovery and business continuity planning, and any other healthcare IT topics, please visit our website at changehealthcare.com. Thank you very much for your day and have a great rest of the day. Take care. Thanks, John. Thank you. You've been listening to the Change Healthcare Podcast. For more information on this and other healthcare IT topics, please visit changehealthcare.com. Don't forget to check the show notes for useful links to related resources and our contact information. Thanks for listening and have a great day.